Welcome to another installment of Historical Homicide. I'm your host, Christina Bentley. Do you want to know a secret? Do you promise not to tell? Secret secrets are no fun unless they're shared with everyone. Or is the fun of a secret embedded in its clandestine nature? Why are secrets so thrilling? Why do we pride ourselves on the ability to keep a secret? It's a fine line that we walk. When to keep a secret and when to say it out loud. And today, I'll let you in on a few mysteries. Let's talk about secrets. Our tale today takes place in Ripley, New York, in 1906. Ripley is a small town located in the very southwest corner of Chautauqua County. It is the westernmost town in the whole of New York State, right next to the Pennsylvania state line. And in 1906, the little town of Ripley on the shores of Lake Erie is mostly farmland. It's a quiet corner of the world, which are tracks our story's main character, a man named David Wilds. David is a 30-year-old man from Erie, Pennsylvania, about 20 miles west of Ripley. By trade, he's a painter. He and his wife move... You know what? Pause. I never found a name for David's wife. Typically, women's Christian names are not listed in newsprint due to a sense of social piety, purity, and respect. But women are also primarily known only in relation to their male counterparts. This is the early 1900s. Women aren't allowed to vote, let alone have their first names in the newspaper. So, for our story's sake, I'll call her Sarah. Unpause. Anyway, David and Sarah moved to Ripley a few months ago. They're renting a house on West Main Street next to Mr. and Miss Peck. The Pecks are an elderly brother and sister who live together. Dave and Sarah have not yet taken time to socialize, so they aren't too familiar with their neighbors outside of the Pecks. Instead of exploring their new beginnings, Dave and Sarah frequently take the train to Erie to spend time with Sarah's mother and stepfather, Mr. and Mrs. Talmadge, who reside in the city on 4th Street. From the outside, the young couple look happy. But why the move to Ripley? They are not farmers. And this community, it's based around that lifestyle. No one knows too much about them. But that's all about to change. But first, a word from our sponsors. Memory Lane Country Shop is a -a one-of-a-kind gift shop located just outside Jamestown, New York. Specializing in unique gifts, farmhouse decor, furniture, and candles, Memory Lane offers a quality shopping experience like none other. Looking for quality mineral paint for your next project? Memory Lane is an authorized fusion mineral paint retailer with several colors in stock. Check out Memory Lane Country Shop on Instagram, Facebook, or stop by their physical location on Peck Settlement Road. Memory Lane Country Shop. That dog is so noisy. Don't people take care of their pets? 
This is ridiculous. Someone needs to let that dog out. It's early on Wednesday, and Miss Peck has been hearing the wild's dog bark all morning. Finally, she's had it. She walks over to let the dog out. Sarah is still in Erie visiting her parents, but David came back on Saturday night. He should be able to let his own dog out. Miss Peck is grumbling to herself as she approaches the wild's home. But this dog's bark sounds urgent. Desperate. Poor thing. The dog inside jumps up, scratching to get out, hungry. How long has the dog been cooped up? Where is David? As the elderly Miss Peck comes to the door, she sees blood. Lots of blood. Smears of it along the floor. Through the lawn. As she peeks in the windows, she spots potatoes in a pan on the cold stovetop. The salt and pepper look like they've been dropped to the floor in haste. Miss Peck calls for David. David! No answer. Frightened, she lets the dog out and calls for her brother. Elisha makes his way over. He comes to the wild's house when he hears his sister yelling for him. He looks around and feels the seriousness of the situation. Elisha is old and tired. He needs help investigating the unsettling predicament and calls for neighbors William Galloway and Sam Miller. The men follow the blood trail out of the house to the woodshed, where they discover something appalling. Before we continue on, a word from our sponsors. Evolution Spin Studio is an all-in-one fitness studio for group training. The reviews are in. Evolution is voted second place overall as a South County Top Fitness Center in Chautauqua County's Best of the Best 2022. From fun and energetic indoor cycling classes, with some of the best instructors around, to full body strengthening with yoga and TRX. But that's not all. Evolution has an infrared sauna for your recovery needs. It's a -a one-of-a-kind studio that has the lights, sound, and atmosphere to make your workout fun. You can check out their class schedule on the Vigero app. Hustle, grind, conquer. Evolution Spin Studio. When Elisha, William, and Sam stumble into the woodshed, they see a pile of old rug in the corner. The smell in the shed is gut-churning, putrid, and it's emanating from that spot. They cover their mouths and noses with handkerchiefs to breathe a little easier through the rancid stench. As they pull back the carpet pile in the corner, they discover a revolting sight. The decomposing body of David Wilds. His head is brutally smashed, his skull clearly fractured, and it seems as though his body has been in this spot for a few days. The men, jolted by the horrifying discovery, immediately exit the shed and call the police. Sheriff Jones, District Attorney Patterson, and Coroner Osgood come to the house in Ripley to take care of the crime scene. They start the investigation, 
by talking to all the neighbors right away, hoping to glean any information that will help them in apprehending the murderer. But there are many important questions to answer. What happened to David? Who killed him? What motive did the murderer have? There are so many unknowns. As old Elisha Peck talks to the police, he tells them what he knows. David and Sarah left for Erie on Friday. Not unusual, as they take the train to Erie frequently on weekends. But only David comes back on Saturday. With a stranger. A man with a beard. A drifter. A a tramp, by the looks of it. Sunday morning, David asks Mr. Peck if he can borrow an axe to chop kindling wood. And that's the last time David is seen alive. Monday goes by, Tuesday. Then, with the alert of the barking, hungry dog, David's body is discovered on Wednesday. It's not much to go on, but a few other neighbors also claim to have seen David with the drifter. Was there anyone who fit that description? This drifter seems to be the most likely suspect. Before we continue down that road, is there anyone else who maybe had an issue with David? Maybe someone who had it out for him? Some information is brought to light regarding David's relationship with Sarah's mother and stepfather. The last time he saw them was August 24th, just a little over a week ago, when David punched his father-in-law, Mr. Talmadge, in the face. Mr. Talmadge was so infuriated that he went to the Erie police, who now have a warrant for David's arrest. Mr. Talmadge, hmm, our first suspect. As word spreads about the mysterious murder in Ripley, Mr. Talmadge is approached by a reporter at work. This reporter has it on good information that the Chautauqua County Police are looking for him as a murder suspect. Mr. Talmadge is shocked to learn that he is a person of interest in the death of his son-in-law. He wraps up his work and heads straight to Chautauqua County Sheriff the next morning. He's met with suspicion and trepidation upon his arrival. But he quickly dispels any notions of wrongdoing on his part. He explains to Sheriff Jones what transpired that August day in Erie with David. Tensions had been rising for quite some time. Mr. Talmadge felt that he had to speak his mind and laid out his reservations about David being able to properly care for Sarah. Mr. Talmadge loves his stepdaughter dearly and saw that her life with David was fraught with financial woe. If David applied himself and found better, more consistent work, it would ease Sarah's burdens and give her the comfortable life she deserves. But that's all over now. And Mr. Talmadge offers to help the sheriff in any way he can. The sheriff and detectives involved in David's case are impressed by Mr. Talmadge, He's no longer a suspect. Before we continue on, a word from our sponsors. Would you kill to be beautiful? The good news is, you don't have to. 
visit the Aesthetic House on Fairmount Avenue in Jamestown. Their kind and supportive staff will put you at ease. They offer a wide range of medical spa services, diamond glow skin treatments, Botox, facial fillers, lip blushing, microblading, laser hair removal, and so much more. And coming soon, skin tightening and body contouring. Book your appointment with the Vigero app under The Aesthetic House or call them at 716-640-2499. The Aesthetic House. It's a relief that Mr. Talmadge has been cleared from the suspect list, but also frustrating, as he was the only person on it. The only evidence police have is a dusty old overcoat. No doubt the murderer exchanged their old overcoat for David's newer one, which is missing from the home. Time is of the essence. The killer must be brought to justice. This murder is extremely reminiscent of the Shearman murders that happened just 12 years ago. The public is getting nervous. This case must be closed. Where to go from here? There's a man named Jack Woods in Erie who has been seen with David on occasion, who vaguely matches the loose description. But when questioned, his alibi checks out. Hmm. Let's retrace our steps. Friday, David and Sarah take the train to Erie. Saturday, David comes back to Ripley without Sarah and with a different companion, the bearded drifter. They would have to take the train. Huh, let's go down to the train station and see if the conductors have any useful information. A detective from Erie comes to help with the case. I didn't catch his name. Did you? No? It's probably not important right now. He definitely seems official. And he thinks going down to the train station is a good idea. It's nice to have reinforcements from a bigger city. Conductor Fred Horton clearly remembers David and the drifter. Over the past few months, Fred has seen David and Sarah many times on their trips to and from Erie and is familiar with them both. So when David rides the train home with someone who isn't Sarah, Fred definitely takes notice. The drifter had a dark beard, buckled shoes, and a heavy overcoat, all of which were quite worn, an indication of life on the road. With this clear description, it's becoming easier to identify the murderer. A reward is put out for anyone who finds him. The announcement is all over the newspapers and advertised all around Chautauqua County. Upon hearing the more definitive description of the murderer, Mrs. Della Testrate comes forward. The day after the murder, she saw a drifter lurking in the bushes by her home on the lakeshore in Ripley. He fits the description advertised and was muttering to himself about someone trying to poison him. She didn't think too much of it at the time, seeing as he was only a drifter passing through. But now she believes this man could be the one the authorities are looking for. Based on Mrs. Testrade's testimony, police are given more clues to go on. Detectives start to follow the trail of one drifter in particular. His behavior is erratic. He talks about being poisoned, 
and his countenance sticks out everywhere he goes. His name? Aaron Lick. Coroner Osgood and three deputies are hot on the trail. They notify the Buffalo Police Department and inform them that Aaron Lick, their primary murder suspect, is heading their way. All departments are on high alert, and Aaron is apprehended without further incident at Blaisdell. The officers at Blaisdell Police Department give Aaron a change of fresh clothes upon his arrival, owing to the fact that, well, his own clothing had not been washed in quite some time. Aaron Lick, a drifter from Edinburgh, Pennsylvania, is taken to Mayville for questioning. His clothing, the clothing he arrived at Blaisdell in, is bloodstained and fits the description given by Fred Horton, the train conductor. Except for his shoes, their boots with no buckle. But Blaisdell police say that they have evidence of where Aaron changed his shoes to avoid detection. The detective from Erie, who is completely involved in the investigation, believes Aaron Lick is absolutely, without a doubt, the murderer of David Wilds. Fred Horton, the train conductor, isn't 100% sure, but Aaron looks like the man he saw with David that night. And the neighbors peg Aaron as being the drifter they all saw in their neighborhood right before and after the murder. Just a few questions for Aaron Lick, and they can start filing charges against him. (sighs) This case is almost done. The following excerpt is directly from the Jamestown Evening Journal. Where'd you get that overcoat? asked the sheriff. I picked it up, replied the tramp. What is your name? was asked. Aaron Lick, replied the man. How long have you been on the road? Two years. Where did you come from? Edinburgh, Pennsylvania. The journal continues. In answer to further question, Lick said that he had a brother whose name was William and who lived south of Waterford, Pennsylvania. He had once had a sister, but she was dead. Thus far, he talked connectedly, but at this juncture he commenced another lingo about poison plasters or something of the sort that had, he said, been applied to him from time to time. Changing the topic, he said that his father was once wealthy. He owned a store, said he, as he commenced another rambling discourse. That's where the journal ends. So at this point, Sheriff Jones is convinced that this man, Aaron Lick, killed David Wilds. His theory, propounded by the Erie detective, is that David, acting out of kindness and benevolence, takes pity on Aaron Lick, giving him a place to stay for the night. But Aaron goes into a delusional state, thinking that someone is trying to poison him. In a fit of madness, Aaron kills David. But as the wave of insanity dissipates... Aaron realizes his actions and hides David's body. It's a pretty airtight theory, and the rumor is that Aaron spoke of a painter who he rode on the train with, a painter he did not like. Aaron is locked back in his jail cell. There isn't any true evidence to connect him to the crime, 
but the detective from Erie feels that matters are well in hand and leaves Chautauqua County law enforcement to handle the rest of the case. But when questions arise for the Erie detective and the Erie police are contacted, they're confused. Conferring with Chief Wagner and Detective Joseph Gallagher, the Erie police claim to have never sent anyone from their department to assist in the Ripley murder case. Who is this mystery detective? And why was he so focused on convicting Aaron Lick of murder? Is the false detective the actual murderer? At this revelation, Erie Police Department actually becomes involved in the investigation. As all this information comes to light, another new development arises. There's a new suspect in the case, but he won't talk. Because he's dead. There's another drifter, killed by a train at Waits Crossing just the other night, and his appearance catches the attention of Coroner Osgood. With the case against Aaron Lick wearing thinner and thinner, look, he's either a clever actor or completely unhinged, more likely the latter. This dark discovery is becoming more plausible. The dead man's clothing is worn and dirty, but his overcoat is much newer. In fact, it's in much better condition than the rest of his clothing. The fabric of the coat is of good quality and well-made, the opposite of what's underneath it. In his pockets are a revolver and a large razor, tools of malicious intent. Train conductor Fred Horton is called to the morgue to look at the man and attests that his countenance is far more similar to the man he saw with David that fateful evening. He bears a much closer resemblance than Aaron Lick does. Many other train conductors recognize the dead man. He has been seen east of Ripley, not far from the murder site. This could be their man. A fabric sample of the coat is sent to Sarah and other relatives who believe it could be David's coat the one missing from his house, swapped by the killer. Aaron Lick is released from jail due to his insanity and lack of evidence against him. And this dead man, this drifter, could be the killer. The fabric sample sent to David's wife and relatives never provided a definitive answer. Was the overcoat David's? Maybe. But we'll never know. To this day, this case is technically unsolved. There are so many loose ends in today's story. What was the state of David and Sarah's relationship? Were they happy together or secretly discontented? Was their move to Ripley an effort to work on their marriage without the scrutinizing eye of Sarah's family? Did Mr. Talmadge keep his disapproval a secret until he felt compelled to speak the truth out of love for his stepdaughter? Not much is known about David's character, but he did keep some questionable company. What was his secret? What was he hiding? And all the answers to the questions we have, all the secrets to this mystery that we love to explore, they're all buried with a dead man. And dead men tell no secrets. 
Thank you for listening to today's episode of Historical Homicide. Check out my Instagram account, Historical Homicide, for pictures, interesting facts, and much more. Tune in next time for more intriguing tales of murderous intent. Mm-hmm.